From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in lovely, loving Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this roundtable episode, our topics are bugs, the good, the bad, and the hilarious, participating in game jams, and the use of developer art. And so, if everyone is ready, let's get started. All right, folks. It's cold out now. It is. It's cold in here, too. It is. I got my hat on and everything. You can't see it, guys, but trust me, it's there. It's, got, it's adorable. <laughs> it's got Chicago on it. It is very cute. <laughs> but it's not just cold. Uh, what What's coming up, Stephen? It's getting you excited. Christmas. Yeah. Christmas. For those of you who don't know Stephen personally, yes. he is just Christmas crazy. Yes. And it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> it's my favorite time of the year. I've, just, I've always grown up having nice Christmases with the family. Mm-hmm. And we have a Christmas Eve party every uh, year. And I just enjoy it so much. It's just happiness all over the place. <laughs> and I, I am such a humbug. Like, I mean, that's just part of my core identity. But when I see you, I, like, I believe. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad I could spread the Christmas cheer. <laughs> it's like, like the one thing you're not old man McGregor about. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. We got some good topics, but I just I, I did something last night that I got, want to tell you guys about. Is I know we've talked a lot of VR in the last two episodes, but like we can't. <laughs> like, it's the best. I mean, it is the best. But I I uh, I got the uh, Oculus Touch controllers finally. They they shipped them this week, and yeah. I played super hot VR. Oh, and so I'm like really sick right now. I've been sick since Thanksgiving, and um, but I couldn't help it. And so I'm like at two or three in the morning. I like went to bed exhausted playing this very very physical game because. It's not only a game where you, the so super hot is a first person shooter where we time moves when you move. So it's a it's a puzzle game as well as a shooter. And it's really really good. And the VR version is like the perfect form of it. It's oh. and it's time moves when any part of you moves. Oh. So you have to like you. It's mannequin challenge basically the video game mm-hmm. where you know there's a guy with a gun right to your face and if you twitch the gun the bullet moves a couple inches closer to your face. <laughs> it is like it's really stressful and it's like the sense of accomplishment you get from from like completing one of the little sequences is incredible. I had such a great time, but it really wrecked me. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds stressful. That yeah. sounds stressful, but it does sound pretty interesting. We'll, we'll put you in it. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> All right, let's get to our first topic. Uh, Martha, it's you. Yes. What's the topic? Bugs. Not, not insects. Uh-huh. <laughs> But bugs. Oh, I prepared like a whole thing. Oh, I had, yeah, I was <laughs> going to talk about the I differences kn- between insects and ants. And ants are insects. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were on your way to a really good joke there. I was. I was. <laughs> I screwed it up. <laughs> Is it a bug in your joke? Ah. So I wanted to start off talking about just um, some epic bugs that mm-hmm. you have seen or made yourself. Uh, Go around and talk about some some good bugs. Okay, that you've you've seen. Yeah. Um. So, well, I guess there's this one bug I, in Vengeance. You know, that game I'm always talking about. Uh, <laughs> You're so embarrassed about. It. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um. But anyways, uh. So there was a, we. I think we were showing the game off at Gamers Rhapsody last year. Uh. That just happened a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, again. Um, but uh, we were showing it off, and there were a couple of kids who were playing the game. Uh, they figured out that if you have somebody attempt to jump in, and then another person dies, 
you can duplicate your ship. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so what happened was there would be like three of each kind of ship and they were abusing this thing the whole time. Um, they, <laughs> they kept coming back to do it. Um, they would just like duplicate um, everyone's ships and then there would just be like 12 ships at once. The game surprisingly held up okay. Uh, I mean, it was a little laggy because it's uh-huh. not supposed to have 12 <laughs> ships up. But <laughs> but they would just do this and destroy everything in, in the game. That's fantastic. I, I removed it the next day. Uh, <laughs> but that was interesting. That was an interesting book. I think my biggest one, it's it's still in, the, in my game, but it's, <laughs> it, ha- it doesn't happen as often as it used to, which is what player, players have dubbed slow mode, which... Is oh. you guys have seen it, I'm yes, sure. Where yes. the, after you play thirty or forty rounds, the game will just chug, right? This, but consistently, like a very mm-hmm. clean slowdown. And players, like some players, like like it. Oh, it's basically just it's like moving underwater, basically. And it actually inspired me to put that in as a game mode, as like an underwater like mode a level. So like it, it, these things can be teachable moments. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. That's pretty cool. I mean, when are we going to get our you know double body? <laughs> Engines mode. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Gotta make a new character for that. <laughs> the Fingence bug reminds me of the that epic clawbreaker bug that oh, we had where mm-hmm. how did that happen again where you could end up having like twelve crabs on top of you? Uh I think the game just didn't reset correctly and so whenever you restarted the game there would just be you would just get another set of crabs. So eventually you would just have like two, then four, then six, then eight, and then twenty on the screen at one time and, and they would the- all be killing each other. <laughs> that one, That's a fun bug. <laughs> when I was working on Chimera Genesis, there was, uh, I was working on redoing the, the death and uh, response system mm-hmm. and I finally got it so that um, you would respond correctly except um, it never brought any of the animations back for you. So you oh. were stuck as this corpse jumping around and <laughs> fight, like shooting <laughs> oh, missiles dang. and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, dang. Oh, wow. Great. That's awesome. <laughs> I have a couple of fun bugs, but mm-hmm. like it, when I hear you guys talk about them, I'm like, I wish all of mine were like that. Because <laughs> so few are. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. There's always the crappy bugs where just the game breaks immediately. And that happened to me the first time we showed, uh, Fintensoft at GlitchCon. Mm-hmm. I think it was literally the first time we had people playing it. Uh, all of the ships, when as soon as they started, immediately blew up, and then there would just be nothing on screen. <laughs> um, it was horrifying because yeah. I think that was the second time we had shown Fintens in public, mm-hmm. and that was a learning experience for me because I was like, "Oh man, I got to get this game tested often." Yeah. Um, but yeah, those kind of those there are the the bad kind of bugs that are just no fun um, for nobody. I know we started out real strong, like <laughs> bugs, fun for all, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to depress it. Um, there, yeah, it's, I mean, that, that is the topic, the good, the bad, and the hilarious. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, some of them, some of them are good, some of them are bad. It's just, uh, and some of them are inspiring, like you were saying with yeah. the, the slow-mo mode. Yeah, I think there's two types of things that, uh, that where I don't, I don't get depressed when I see a bug. There's some mm-hmm. that are just persistent and they drive you crazy and we'll mm-hmm. talk about those. But there's the ones that actually like show you something about the game. They, they break the mechanics of the game yeah. and that, that gives you some inspiration or that it tells you that maybe, maybe you should change something. If it's not that, something else that wasn't working. Um, and then there's the other kind which as a developer teaches you like how, like how, to better, how to be a better coder. And those are the ones I kind of treasure the most because I'm entirely self-taught in, in, 
uh, programming. And Mm -hmm. so there's so much I still don't know and have never been exposed to. And so when I discover something like that, that just teaches me how to solve it. And suddenly I'm like, I'm not only better prepared to solve things like that in the future, but I'm more confident that I can solve things like that, Mm. which makes me more daring. I can try more things. I can write sloppy code because I know I can fix it better, you know, later. Whereas previously I'd be really timid. Uh, But the more bugs I find and fix just as a natural result of that, the better I am all around in ways that I can't really calculate. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's cool. The bugs make you better. (laughs) It's my spin on it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like you have an immune system. You just get, you just get better at fighting the bugs. Nice. (laughs) That's pretty cool. That's a really cool way to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, There have been other games or in fact, I think there have been entire game genres that are inspired by bugs. Mm -hmm. Uh, the classic example is in Street Fighter 2. The combo system in that game was not was a bug. Uh, the hit stun and... Oh, I don't, I'm not exactly pos- or up to date on the details. But um, the, the whole combo system was supposed to be a bug. I think you were supposed to be able to only hit people about once or twice. And so oh, that wow. was supposed to be the, the combat. But eventually people figured out that you could like lock them into a, a hit stun and then continue your combo and get more and more hits. And people love that. And so it inspired an entire an entire game. And people still consider that or consider Street Fighter to be one of the best fighting games. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because when I heard that story, I was like, oh, now Street Fighter makes sense. Whereas mm-hmm. <laughs> before, like <laughs> that kind that kind of system doesn't feel like natural to the 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 fiction of the game. Yeah. But it makes perfect sense for game mechanics, but n- knowing how it was developed is really fascinating. Yeah. You, you're like, oh, they're geniuses to have come up with this crazy idea, but they kind of didn't. Yeah, right? right? Yeah. So bugs can be pretty cool in that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. So buck up, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of bugs do you prioritize to fix in your games between play sessions or um, for when you release? That is a good question. Ones I can tackle. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I used to try to have a system, like, you know, I catalog what I needed to do. And, but it just, if it takes me five minutes, I just do it because it, it's, it's within my power, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And then the bigger ones, uh, by contrast, I procrastinate on because they're harder to solve. And it's less motivating to spend three weeks trying to fix a memory leak when I could just be adding features. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's terrible, but that is kind of no, how I, I operate. I totally understand. Yeah, you, you got to be inspired to make to work on your game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I suppose I, I kind of follow along with how Mark does it, but <laughs> <laughs> but I do tend to prioritize the. I mean, there have been a lot of game breaking bugs in Fingent, so I tend to prioritize those because if the game doesn't work, you can't play it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's getting harder and harder to fix the bugs that are in the game because we've been doing it for so long, and some of them are just completely random, yeah, sort of, sort of scenarios that you don't that doesn't that don't seem to make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, well, I know just from us both showing at Gamers Rhapsody mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, we each have one big one, yeah, that are, is like that. Yeah, where it's not it's not game breaking exactly. We can move on without fixing it, but we shouldn't move on without fixing it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so those are the kinds of things that are very frustrating to yeah. deal with. And so you, you kind of put those off. Or mm-hmm. I try to put I try to put those off because yeah. they don't affect the game for the most part. Um, but yeah, uh, I do try to change. I mean, when we're at, when we're at playtest, I try to make sure that the game uh, is has as few errors as possible, and I can change those pretty quickly on the fly mm-hmm. uh, while I'm while I'm playtesting the game. 
Um, those are the kinds of things that I, yeah, those, those five second ones, unless those five seconds turn into three hours, which has <laughs> happened. Um, yeah, I try to fix those whenever I see them. And we have a, we have a checklist that I uh, make from all, all the notes uh, at play tests and things. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can just go in there and check it out, make sure that we've got it done. Yeah. I use a Trello board. Mm. Just it's just a, it's it's just a list that gets longer and longer and slowly shorter and shorter, <laughs> yeah. um, and that that seems to work okay for me because I'm I am scared of seeing something and not remembering it, mm. um, and so I I've, I've gotten better recently about just logging it if not solving it. <laughs> right? That's, yeah, I mean the first step is admitting you have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're playing games uh, and you encounter bugs. What sort of game uh, bugs do you tolerate from in games, and do you think it's different being a game dev uh, as opposed to being a player? Hmm. Um, I found that I'm a lot more tolerant of bugs since I've been working on games. Uh, I don't think I was really too bothered with it before, but some of the like some decisions and some annoying things would get on my nerves when I was younger. Uh, but now. I understand. I'm like, oh yeah, I can, I can see why you would just leave that out because it's a rare sort of thing. Or yeah, yeah, right. And, I think when yeah, when you play games growing up, you see these things. You're like, how did they not notice this? Mm-hmm. And then when you start developing. It, you're like, I can't believe they caught as many as they did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Your game when you release it is going to have bugs. Yeah. You're just going to have to accept that. It's mm-hmm. the important thing is to get rid of the huge ones. Right, right. When I play games, I, I, if a game, if it resets my progress. Then I I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily gonna like write a letter, but like <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, everything else is fine. Mm-hmm. Is uh, and I don't know if that's from being a developer or just because I'm so chill. I have no idea. But <laughs> it's probably not that second one. But yeah, I think it's it it really it is uh, like I think people have different reactions to seeing flaws in art, right? And yeah. that's kind of what it is. Like when you see the you know the Assassin's Creed is a great example because there's just so many bugs in those games. Mm-hmm. But like you see, like the you know the horse is upside down. It's like cool. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know it's part of the charm of it too, right? Yeah. Like, it, it, but if there's only if there's like three bugs, then it's a, a flaw. If there's ten or twenty, then it's like part of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like all Bethesda games, they always have a ton of bugs. <laughs> yeah. Bethesda, um, Bethesda never changes. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Um, yeah, I mean their games. I it's it's a lot of it. It's just their games are so huge, and you can do almost anything in those things. So it's just it's just going to be littered with bugs, and there's really not much they can do but fix them whenever they can, patch them and stuff. Or you could download mods to uh, get rid of them. There's the unofficial Skyrim patch or whatever huh. um, that uh, the community's just taken up and decided they want to fix the crappy bugs. Right. That, <laughs> that Bethesda <laughs> doesn't want to deal with. I just say, if I, if, I mean, one, if I were blessed with an audience that w- could do that to my game, mm-hmm. I would be very thankful. Yeah. But w- once I'd gotten over that, I would be very upset. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, because you know, I, I would feel like it's my job, not yeah. yours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I would be curious to know actually what the opinion is. Because I've read that Bethesda, like they're a smaller team, and one of the reasons they have such huge projects compared to uh, other projects of that size, their teams are very small. And so that's why they can do that. And it's a philosophy they have that's just like, just get it out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if they're chill about it or, or if they actually, you know, like I wonder what the company uh, culture around that is. 
Because yeah, when you're a small team, it, every bug is a nightmare, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. you don't even know if you can solve it. It's not just about <laughs> devoting the time. It's can you even do it? Um, with a larger team, it's, it's, it's about managing resources as expectations, right? Like you work in QA, right? I do. At Concrete. Like do. what's the, how does it go over there? I mean, well, it's, it's not a very large uh, uh, place, but mm-hmm. uh, in, for the most part, it's relatively chill. If there's like if there's significant issues, like we just released a pretty big update for our bowling game, mm-hmm. um, and there were uh, a lot of bugs in that update, um, and so that whole week was basically devoted towards uh, that bowling. Mm-hmm. But um, aside from that, I mean, you just you do your regression testing and you do your whatever the other one's called, <laughs> um, and you you move on. It's it's pretty chill. What's the reg- regression testing? Oh, regression testing is when uh, you go through the game and you just there's like a checklist of things you need to go cover, like uh, play through each uh, bowl uh, frame or two with each bowling ball, or blame or bowl a frame on each uh, different lane, um, and so you would just do that. It's not exciting work, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean that's yeah that's part of, that's part of the development process. You have to get that stuff tested. Um, I think we're blessed with this organization and the community we have here to do a lot of playtesting for our work mm-hmm. that a lot of other indie devs don't get to do. But we don't really, for our own games, don't get to even do that. We don't get to really, you know, do that regression testing, the like repeatable stuff. Like, like we can't ask our, you know, playtesters to do that because yeah. we, we're paying them. Yeah. Um, but so, I mean, you've done, you're, you've been in both situations. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what's the, is it, what's the measurable difference? Like, um, well, with with well, with concrete, there's people specifically tasked with just QA, and that's all they do is test stuff. Mm-hmm. With when you're an indie dev um, and you're only three people strong, uh, you don't have time to do that, and so you only test the stuff you know is going to be a problem. <laughs> and so other bugs will come up because of that, because you just don't have the time to test them all. But that's just kind of the nature of the beast. There's no real way around it mm-hmm. until you hi- are able to hire somebody to get uh, QA for you. Yeah. Now I really want to. But, I mean, but you said it doesn't sound that exciting, but it sounds really important. It, yeah, I mean, it is. It's very helpful because you just get rid of the little tiny bugs mm-hmm. that are obnoxious, um, or at least you're aware of them because there are bugs that um, I report that aren't are very minor, and so they don't get uh, fixed. Mm-hmm. Even though it's important, uh, a lot of things you could kind of get away with. Right? <laughs> Speaking of things that you can get away with. Uh, do you think uh, like the style or type of game um, makes some bugs more acceptable? Like we were talking about Bethesda, um, and um, I listened to at last GDC people who made Goat Simulator talk mm-hmm. about it, mm-hmm. and their philosophy with that game was: if it doesn't break the game, leave it in. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> um. So can bugs be an intentional design choice? Oh, okay. With Goat Simulator, it definitely was. It sounds <laughs> like. Uh, though I, su- I suppose in general, it's probably not. It seems, it seems kind of weird to have a bug dictate how you make your game. Unless that bug just makes the game better in some way, like the Street Fighter scenario. Like the mm-hmm. same. Uh, it might be too a... Um a bug aesthetic like it's mm. it's a buggy game in quotes but it but then it works the way they want it to mm-hmm. right oh it, it's it feels like a buggy game but right. it's not actually right it's it's the they're intentional or they maybe they came from 
you know, they were actually bugs, but then they were ref- refined uh, as mechanics. Oh, I see. Um, yeah. Because, I, f- I mean, that sounds really like punk rock, you know, but I kind of don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Huh. I suppose that's um, one way of going about it. I su- like, it, de- it does depend on the game, though. Like, certain bugs can ruin uh, an otherwise solid game. And I think a lot of it uh, depends on how fast-paced your game is. Mm-hmm. Uh, like maybe you're playing Bayonetta and all of a sudden Bayonetta's legs fall off. <laughs> that would be bad. Uh, <laughs> and so that would that would probably ruin the experience. But if you're playing um, Civilization and um, your town falls in, through the ground, you still know the town is there. <laughs> you just, yeah. You, it, so it doesn't affect the game as much. So I think it, it does depend or it does or some bugs are more annoying when you're uh, playing a different genre than others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have we have we solved all the problems with this segment? Yeah, I think so. We, yeah, all bugs are resolved. It's we're ready, we're, we're ready to ship it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll put that on the truck and send it out the back, and we'll be back momentarily for the second topic of our show, which is what Stephen game jams. All right, see you in a moment. Okay, we're back after a big long deep breath. And uh, we're here to talk about game jams. Steve, yes. this is your topic. Yes, it is. Tell us all about it. Well, um, for those who haven't participated or don't know what one is, a game jam is when you make a video game within a very short period of time. This could be a week. Most of them are, from what I've my experience, most of them are about 48 hours. Um, I've participated in game jams over 24 hours. Um, there are like variations of game jams that are like design jams where you make a design for a game in a couple of hours. Hmm. Those are interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to talk about what, what game jams mean to us. Uh, like what do you get out of a game jam? What makes them fun? What makes them useful possibly for you? Uh, so I'm curious how you guys feel about it. What kind of game jams have you participated in? The first game I ever made was at the Midwest game jam and we made the claw breaker crab fighting game. Um, and that one was 24 hours. Yes. And I had never coded a game before. I only knew JavaScript um, and only how to make websites with JavaScript, not how to do anything else. <laughs> um, but uh, they're like, you don't need experience. Just come. So uh, it was cool getting to uh, learn how, it was like learning how to code games while coding a game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like a crash course yeah. in and I think it was like one of the best gaming education pieces that I've ever done is uh, just literally making a game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Coincidentally, uh, I met Martha at this game jam. We worked on, we also, we worked on Clubwork together. Um, we did, yeah, we both did the coding now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, me, and Shanti had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that was, yeah, it was a fun experience, right? Um I think a lot of, for me, a lot of game jam um, experience, the most I enjoy out of them is the learning experience. I get to, uh, I mean, making a game within a short, short period of time is, is, is strangely eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just an intense learning moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. First game jam I did, mm-hmm. it was, uh, a lot of people were like, oh yeah, you have to do these. They're the best thing. All the things you guys are describing about how great they are. I heard that from a lot of people. <laughs> and I didn't really believe them so much. And because I, you know, my background is in independent film. And there's a very similar thing called the 40-hour film festival. Okay. Where it's the same thing. You just have 48 hours. You get a prompt. 
You got to make a movie and then you premiere it at a bar somewhere usually. And I hated those. <laughs> like it's, uh, you, you never get to do all the things that you want to do. And it like, there's lots of reasons why those, I didn't like them. I, it, there are a lot of reasons why they're good for the same reasons game jams are, but like I soured on them is basically good. I did a couple of them with some friends and some uh, colleagues and it just, I never got, I just sort of was like, I'm done with this. I don't need to do this anymore. And so I had kind of a bad impression of it. And then the first game jam I did, uh, Martha taught me unity and now I'm just a better person. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> so I was a hundred percent wrong about that. And it, it is funny because I, it wasn't that I, you know, I wasn't like a, I wasn't a total sourpuss about it or anything, but like I was, I was surprised at how surprised I was, I suppose <laughs> is what it was. Is that, Cause you're right. It's just like, you know, it solves the number one problem that games have, which is scope. Right. Yeah. And, yes. And if it solves nothing else, that's, that's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, just getting it started and finished. And Steven, you and I both talked about projects we're working on that are bigger than we thought they'd be. Oh yeah. And, and it prevents you from working on other things, but a game jam is it's, you just go in, you come out and maybe you tweak it after the fact. like Clawbreaker has made leaps and bounds since that game jam. It has. Yeah. Um, but the game we worked on, Martha, you and I, uh, <laughs> we've talked about it, <laughs> but it's sat in the repository and it's, it's doing fine as a history lesson for us. And I, I haven't actually seen this game. I don't think. What? Oh, oh my, my God. God. <laughs> <laughs> what, what game did you guys make? It's called The Tooth is Out There. Oh, and it is a yeah. um a X-Files toothbrushing simulator. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's about as good a description as you'll get. <laughs> yeah, I remember this game. It was it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, I I had such a great time with that because it, like I had a concept for what I wanted a game mechanic to be. I said, let's have a game with where you don't know what the controls do. And the point of the game is to learn them. That's kind of all I had. And I had like a really specific idea of like how I kind of wanted to start with that. And, um, and then everyone else brought a little something else to it. And it just all came together in a way that was totally different from what I had imagined. And also put, took a lot of the burden off of me to like solve all the problems that my idea had, I suppose. And, and in the end, it, it ended up not being that idea like even at all. And that's what was so great about it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it, it just, it, yeah, it's the, it's the it's scope, it's collaboration, it's all the things that if you are at home watching YouTube tutorials that, and, and you get frustrated, you're like, I've, I feel like I should be learning things by now. Like, because I, I felt that way. Mm-hmm. When you try to get a lot of this information for yourself, you try, to, you try to build your own experience. It doesn't always come so easily, but a game jam gives it to you like a shot in the arm. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of it. That's a lot of the fun of it, really. It's mm-hmm. just you're panicked into making this game, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's it's still it's still a good time. Uh, even though the even if the product doesn't come out the way you expected it to, you you still learn a lot from it. We didn't have that problem though. <laughs> <laughs> we we made a masterpiece. Yes, of yes. course. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's good. Um, yeah, I I think a lot of so for those of you out there listening who haven't ever participated in a game jam, I think a lot of it is learning. And so even if you don't have any experience, um, you, can get a, you can get a ton out of it just by being there and being around that you know, he- hectic but fun uh, part, of the, part of the gaming lifestyle. Um, so uh, there, uh, each, each game jam has like a topic, most of the time they do anyways, um, where like, for example, the uh, Global Game Jam last year I had the topic of Ritual, which was, it was really broad. Yeah. Um, and there were a lot of games that came out of it that were, or that pertained to it that 
were uh, took that uh, theme differently each. Um, so I'm curious, do you guys feel like it's important to follow the theme? Um, do you feel that while you're making the game that you follow the theme pretty well? Like, I feel, me personally, I feel like themes help because it helps you focus um, on something. Mm-hmm. Because you might just go there having absolutely no idea what you want to work on. Right. Um, and so for those kind of people um, who just came in there just wanted to make a game, uh, it helps them. But maybe you wanted to, you had an idea for a game you really wanted to work on and the theme just is completely the opposite of that. And mm-hmm. so you weren't able to, you weren't able to work on what you actually wanted on. So I'm, I'm curious what your guys' opinions are on the themes of game jams. I think the first time you do one, I think it's probably, a, it's probably a good for you to take it seriously and try to meet it. Because it's one less thing to think about, I guess. Mm-hmm. It focuses your efforts, yeah. I suppose. But I think once you've done it once, uh, I mean, because there's nobody, there's nobody grading you. So yeah. you can do what you like. Mm-hmm. And so it can be an excuse to get going or it could be like something you can ignore, I suppose. Um, when I was doing 40 Hour Film Jams, we actually did have, there were prizes, right? There were awards for best, in each category, best use of the theme, all yeah. of that. And so, so in my first game jam, I thought that, that's, that we took it that seriously. Oh, okay. Um, but my experience has been that not really, right? That you could be pretty loose with it, and it's, it's, it's a prompt and not much more than that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Is there a substantial disagreement on that? What do you guys think? No, I, I'd have to agree with you. Yeah. It, it didn't seem like the theme was super important. Mm-hmm. It just helped focus. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like people took it whichever direction that they wanted to. And I think the theme, what was the theme for Clawbreaker? I think it was Tropics because oh, we it was yeah. in the middle of winter. <laughs> and we were all sick of it. So we wanted something warm <laughs> to think about. That's another thing, too, is that you can make a theme based on something that you want uh, the group to think about. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I re- my first game jam was uh, Global Game Jam a couple years back. Um, and I believe the theme was What Do We Do Now? Which, it, in retrospect, was kind of an annoying theme because it's just, <laughs> it's super weird. Uh, but yeah, we, we, took that, we took that theme and we ended up making a Ouija board game. Huh. Which, uh, so it was, it was a multiplayer Ouija board game where everybody is trying to get to the word um, that they want on the, on the board. There are like four or five words on each board. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on which word you pick, you, go, you would go through this story path. Um, and so we, we had a pretty big team. I think we had a team of eight people. We had a couple of writers, some artists. Um, Elaine was the only one who was doing the coding for the game. And I, I know it's just about <laughs> he had a lot of crap piled out of him. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think we didn't really follow the theme that well. We just kind of made a pun mm-hmm. and, and, and it sort of worked out anyways. It was, it was, it was super like dramatic feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know that the jam you guys did uh, in the immersion program. Yes. Uh, you guys all kind of stuck pretty close to it. Mm-hmm. And, and that made a bigger difference because the theme had a message. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Part of it was also we were being judged. <laughs> <laughs> so that, well, there's that. Um, I, I don't remember the message right now. Feeling happy. It was, it was, it, I think it was more specific. Always oh, happy, happy, not sad, right? Yes. Which yeah, is that like, was it's, it. it's open enough for you to, to like put real meaning onto. And I, I played all those games mm-hmm. and I, I felt that you all took it seriously and made, all made good points. Yeah. And I thought that was something really interesting, that a prompt that really brought out the artistry. Yeah, I right? think I think a lot of it was that prompt was just very inspiring. Yeah. Um, if you have a, if you have a topic that's 
broad enough that you can interpret it in different ways, but specific enough that like it focuses you in in any direction um, that makes for a good prompt. And I think that happy, not sad was a good prompt because mm-hmm. we, we all were able to take that in different ways. Um, it was pretty fun. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, we, I guess we all did tend to focus on uh, the, the prompt and we were pretty, we followed that pretty well. Yeah. 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 It helped out. Oh, but there are some game jams that have judging and contests mm-hmm. and those the like they have contests and awards and things and I I don't know how I feel about that in game jams. I'm glad that the ones that I've participated in don't have that just personally. Mm. I feel like it would put too much pressure to make it something perfect mm-hmm. or something that other people, you know, like other people would like. Yeah. As opposed to like getting what I wanted out of it. Yeah. Well, the Midwest Game Jam actually did have uh, oh, it had awards. I guess that's true. I we did. I don't think anybody ever paid attention to it, but I think we did end up getting best game. Oh. So maybe that's why we didn't pay attention. Because uh, <laughs> we knew we had it in the bag. Yeah, we you, had a really. You big, think maybe we did? <laughs> we had a really big team, admittedly, so we were able to get a lot. Done. We were like half the jam. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, both. I, I think all of the game jams I participated in had some form of judging or awards mm-hmm. um and some of them are higher priority than others like during the immersion program i mean the the th- not the threat but um <laughs> the idea that you were going to be judged made you want to make sure that this game was at least on point yeah in some yeah. way um but during the global game jam there's so many people doing that that i right, don't right. even i don't even consider that as a goal right and that's that's that brings up the point of like there are different types of game jams mm-hmm. that we're sort of circling around that have different points to them yeah right yeah um yeah some of them well yeah there's there's i mean there's just the you're you have you gather a group of friends to work on a game jam oh yeah i, I did a game jam up in duluth with uh the media arts club shout out to lizzie um <laughs> we uh we made a game in 24 hours it did not turn out very good but uh <laughs> Yeah, we just decided, uh, the group of us, and it was just four of us, we just decided, let's make a game within this period of time. Um, and so that was interesting. And there was no award or anything. We just wanted to have the game finished by the end of the thing. Uh, so there's those kind of game jams where you just, uh, you're just a group and you just want to make a game really fast. And there are other kind of game jams that are more competitive. Uh, I feel like the global game jam, for some people, is highly competitive. And for others, I feel like for most people, it's probably not, though. Uh, so what do you need for a game jam? Uh, when I go to a game jam, I just bring my laptop and my mouse. Uh, but I, I tend to focus on game design when I do that. And I try, not to, I try to do little coding, which I think I'm going to trend away from in the next one and do a little bit more coding yeah. and more game design. Or and, and, and less game design. But I, I'm going to try to interlace it. Because when I go to a global game jam, I want to learn and I want to be better as a game designer. Mm-hmm. But um, what other kind of things did you guys find useful to bring to a game jam. Well, I think, I mean, you know, when I, the first one I did is we went with our immersion group, and so I knew some people who were going to be there, and so I kind of knew I would be on a team with them. Mm-hmm. So that was nice. But um, one of the nice things that was a surprise is that you don't need that, right? You can yeah. just you can go by yourself. You can, like when you're saying like you want to, you know, you go for game design, not necessarily for coding. You need someone to do some coding. Yeah, but. Do you go knowing who that person's going to be the time? <laughs> uh, the first time, yeah, I, I'd plan on work, uh, 
at the first global game jam, I plan on working with my brother and Lane and mm-hmm. a few other people. And we ended up having a big group. The second time I, I made it a goal not to work with the people I did at the mm-hmm. globe during the global game jam. Uh, I think I'm going to try to trend to do that again. Yeah. Uh, because it's, it's, it's just nice to be able to work with people you haven't worked with in the past. Sure. Um, and so I was in the group of people I, where I knew the only person I knew was Sarah. Mm-hmm. Now that I think about it, um, I didn't know anyone else. Um, and we ended up working on a VR game. Uh, it's called Save Jimmy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're supposed to be a guardian angel and you're supposed to protect this kid, but you basically just blew up uh, buildings with your laser eyes. <laughs> it was super fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a fun time. Um, but yeah, it, I guess it depends on the experience um, you want. Uh, I find that it's it's nice to be able to branch out and meet new people and uh, make a game with people you haven't met or haven't really worked on a game with before mm-hmm. but maybe you want to just uh you have a group of people you like making games with and you just want to make something really fast with them and so it depends on the kind of experience you're looking for mm-hmm. uh also don't feel pressure to stay there the whole time you don't have to bring a sleeping bag or a toothpaste or anything like that <laughs> i did that the first time uh though i don't think i ended up sleeping now that i think about it, i don't i think i just went home uh I but, just paced back and forth for a couple hours and came back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Sleep is for the week. Um, <laughs> no, no. Um, I mean, there are some people, and we're we're blessed here uh, in in Minnesota where we have uh, glitch, and they provide us with tents and yeah. like a, accommodations, and like oh, and and morning food and stuff. They oh, have yeah. bagels and like bananas from here to eternity. Yeah, it's great. yeah, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> they have that and tea, and oh, it's great. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you, you don't have to feel pressured to stay the whole time. Sometimes there are life um, obligations and sometimes you just want to sleep. Mm-hmm. And so that, yeah, that's not a problem. But something sometimes you do want to bring maybe a sleeping bag because you want to mm-hmm. get in the moment. I don't know. Um, yeah. It, when you went to the, the Midwest Game Jam, did you bring anything special, Martha? Well, I always bring along some extra stuff just in case I want to choose to do something besides coding so i brought my like drawing pad thing and my flute if people wanted flute music oh, oh you could have had flute <laughs> yeah oh i didn't know that would have been cool <laughs> um but bookmark that for next time <laughs> yeah i haven't i haven't yet to use them i might choose art next just mm-hmm. to choo- choose something different like don't be afraid if you're if you're um like I always do music or I always do art, like try coding or try like game jams are a perfect opportunity to try something new. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And people are not pressuring at all. Like if you're, if it's a uh, learning experience, people are very accommodating. I found, uh, yeah, like it, I mean, it might help to just have people or, or that, you know, because I don't know, maybe some people get way too intense in game <laughs> jams, but I haven't had that experience and I don't, I, I haven't seen that. I think even with you team with people who you're not as familiar with, as long as you're all doing something unfamiliar, then hopefully there should be no pressure. Yeah, <laughs> right. That it's that it's a it's an, an environment where you're free to fail. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh. So what kind of game jams uh, are fun to join? Uh, like ones that are coming up here. There's the global game jam that's happening in a few months. That's game craft. Soon, yeah. Yes. Game craft here in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so the way Global Game Jam works is that it's around the world, mm-hmm. and uh, but there are different sites that are all over the place. So yeah. wherever you are, uh, you know, search for your local site. It's usually sponsored by an organization or a group or sometimes a school. 
we'll have it here. Glitch um, sponsors it, and it's called GameCraft, and so all of us locally do that. It's about, what, 200 people? It's pretty big for, yeah. for a meetup. Sometimes you can set up a global game jam site just in your bedroom and have a couple friends over like that that's fine too mm-hmm. um so it's a little bit of a bureaucracy i don't like, think you i don't think you necessarily need a site in order to participate in the that's game true also yes yeah. that's right um and so, yeah so gamecraft's coming up for us mm-hmm. and i'm really excited about it it, yeah. it kind of feels like we've been revved up for it like starting recently but like it's not for a little while yet yeah I'm, yeah I'm until next, the next it year. will probably be Sooner when oh, we release this. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's a fair point. Make sure um, to sign up. <laughs> yes, 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 for real. Um, and then there's also the Ludum Dare, Ludum Dare. I'm I'm not sure how to pronounce that to be honest, but um, that's I believe it's only online, and there's like two different kinds of ways to participate in that. There's the version where you just work as a group, and I don't think it's too com- too competitive. Uh, you just work on it, make a game within a weekend. Um, and there's the really competitive one where you're by yourself and you are only allowed to work on the game by yourself. And so you have to make a game by yourself within the weekend. That that sounds intense. I I don't, I think there are a couple of people who I know who have done that and it's, and there have, there's many of them throughout the year. Yes. Yeah. I, I never figure out when the heck they start until (laughs) a week before. I believe there's one, um, the, uh, this weekend we're recording. So you probably have missed it. Oh, <laughs> but um well, so did we like, yeah, I suppose yeah. <laughs> too. but um yeah that's that's one that and it happens all the time so if you're able to uh figure out when they are i that sounds that's a good one to uh join too um and maybe you just want to if you just want to have that game jam experience just find a few people who you want to make a game with and just do it yeah roll your own mm-hmm. you can also turn regular hack like j- hackathons and jams into game jams that's right i know that a group at Hack the Gap, which is a women coders uh, hackathon. Um, they made a game at the hackathon, so it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, turn all all hackathons into game jam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's another that's another way of going about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so we you know we've spouted off a bunch of details and information. We'll put all in the show notes, mm-hmm. including sign up pages and stuff, so people. Uh, listening can sort of see what's coming up and what they can participate in. Yeah, yeah. Great. And we're back to talk about our third topic, which, hey, it's my topic, uh, developer art. Ooh. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys a little bit about it because I, I come from a sort of designy art aesthetic background, and so I'm really bad at this. <laughs> where, you know, and the idea, so developer art, if you're not aware, is basically like um, in 3D design, it's called white boxing, or you just sort of make Basic, simple graphics, squares, triangles, blobs of color, just to get your design on its feet, right? To get a working prototype going. And then you worry about the polish and all that stuff later. And that's the part I'm terrible at because I tend to come at things kind of from a all-at-once kind of spaghetti ball. Mm. And um, and I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. I've like come to terms with, with it. But I know that there's a real inherent value to like, to, you know, not getting stuck in the mud of every little detail before moving to the next thing. And so I wanted to ask you guys a little bit of like what, you know, how you guys approach it in your work, uh, whether it's games or really anything else. Okay. Uh, well, I'm pretty much the exact opposite of you, Mark. Okay. I, Learning uh, experience for me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I tend to uh, use rehash sprite or sprites and stuff and uh, just make little white squares or something whenever I need to make something. And I focus a lot less on the the feel, the juice uh, that you add to 
uh, an aspect of the game. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm able to crank out a bunch of prototypes, but they kind of feel crappy as a result. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, 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 because I, it doesn't bother me too much that the art isn't up, up to par is the mm-hmm. other things. Um, I'm just uh, able to just grab random crap and make it right. into something else. <laughs> so, I guess part of it is a mindset sort of thing. Yeah, I was going to say, because as you describe it, I'm just like, wow, I, I guess we'll, I just, I just, I'll never have it. Because <laughs> it doesn't uh, sound like there's any concrete steps you can go to just to be comfortable with that. You just have to be comfortable with that. Yeah, I, I mean, that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I guess it helps me because, well, it's easier for me because I don't have a lot of artistic, um, I, don't, I don't really use Photoshop and stuff, so mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not super familiar with the, um, the program. And so I just... I feel like I have to do it. Okay. So I just do it. Ah. Um, that's just me. Uh, I guess that's it. Like, I feel like I have to do the, all, the, all the rest of it. Like, mm. So maybe that's just <laughs> like our, our backgrounds, you know, doom us or save us. In, yeah, in maybe. Do you feel differently, Martha? Maybe you could break the tie. Well, I like having, I, I really like games that look really polished mm-hmm. or, and, and, their design has a, a good aesthetic. Like I am drawn to games that are um, colorful and cool yeah. art and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so I was thinking about when I've done developer art <laughs> um, and how it is disappointing that it's never up to par to what I wa- like imagined in my right, head. Right. Um, but at like so, Clawbaker, for example, we had. Uh, Lizzie who was making art and she doodled a bunch of of kind of concept art on a whiteboard and so um, I made like a silhouette of her drawings when I was making like developer art crab Mm. arms oh yeah (laughs) Um, just to get just just to have a little bit of the feel in there and so it was was good to have um, like what style in mind when Mm -hmm. you're when I was, um, when I was coding, yeah, and so when I had that style in mind, I was like, it was easier to do development because I was like, oh, this is what it's going to look like eventually. So it's okay that it's a box with with stretchy white art, <laughs> like crappy arms mm-hmm. things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that I mean that helps a lot to be able to um, uh, to match the feel with your developer art, the feel of the game or the feel of the art um, with with your developer art. Uh, and it, because I take sprites from the previous parts of the game, and plus, um, uh, with Vengeance, um, a lot of the art we have, a, we already have a uh, an art style that we've been following. So, mm-hmm. like, if something looks a little out of place, uh, it's not that bad because the rest of the game looks so polished. Right, um, right. You've picked an aesthetic already. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, it, 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 I guess it, it that helps to just have that idea in mind. Mm-hmm. Is, is that what you were? Yeah. Think? Yeah. 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 That sounds good. Well, that kind of covers my next question, which is like, what, you know, what are the strategies for good developer art, especially when you're showing off a game, right? Like uh, you want to, you want to convey that feel, right? And that's kind of what I heard you guys answer, which is to say, like, if you have an aesthetic, cannibalize it already, right? That that keeps it intact in that way, and if you have something that's like, I mean, almost metaphorically, a silhouette of the final art, right? Like, it, you know, literally and uh, figuratively, that like that can help you get there too. That's the thing that sort of uh, when I work on something and I'll I'll sketch up something quick, I'll be like, well, I, 
and I could just put this in and keep going, but mm, I kind of know where I'm going with it. Mm. And so I'll, I'll keep going. And so I never, I never feel comfortable where I can get to the point that, that either of you have described in, in those two different ways. And so that might be something I can work on is like finding a way to like get the feeling without having to, to nail it completely. Mm. I suppose I, I have gotten a lot better at uh, adding feel to the game without having to um, have Charles, uh, my brother, who works on Fingence with me, uh, do the art. Uh-huh. Um, I've, uh, so I guess like I, I've been doing, I've added like particles and stuff to things to mm-hmm. add the feel, but I always do that later. Sure. After sure. I get the base game or the base gameplay of whatever I'm trying to add. In right. There. Right. Um, so what I'm hearing is it's not, there's no dogma about it. Yeah. Right. There's, yeah. You kind of just work with however, however you can get what you need to get done, done. Yes. Right. Yes. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, sometimes when you're, adding something it's important that you get the feel right the first time because yeah. that might be important to what you're doing like if you're mm-hmm. working on a shmup you want to make sure the the things you're shooting uh shoot well right and shoot then feel good to shoot and so you have to kind of figure out how to get that we have a system in place where it's pretty easy for me to do that but mm-hmm. um if you're just starting out maybe when metro nexus when you first did the jumps like uh because you didn't have the right you maybe you didn't have the right art style um, and so it didn't work out right for you. Yeah, I think with that. So Metro Nexus has a, each level is reskinned in a different art style. So that's something that was. So I needed to build a template for the artist who, who was going to collaborate with me on these things. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the core of the game design in a sense. <laughs> so I kind of backed myself into a corner where I where I'm comfortable, I suppose, <laughs> uh, with that. Um, but uh, when I was in fact tweaking, this is actually a story on the other end, which is when I was tweaking the physics of it, I'd already determined how many frames a jump was going to be. Oh, right? really? Okay. And so, like, it actually boxed me in in a way where um, I I needed to sort of undo a little bit of work. And I'm okay doing that sometimes, partly because I've done it so much that like I, I I'm okay. But it still makes me think like, oh, I really should have done this in a different order. And I don't know if it would have been better had I done it that way or not. Mm-hmm. But there are those moments where I feel like there's some work wasted, um, and I, I don't. Maybe it's just not a solvable problem for me personally. But it's well, it, it's the, interesting because it's the way you guys describe that there isn't. There's not. It's not like the dumb way I do it, and then the right way. It's like everyone has their own dumb way of doing it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you find that you? I guess I, I, I'm going to say waste time because I can't come up with a better way of doing it. <laughs> but um, do you find that you tend to waste a lot of time uh, working on art that you really just intend to be temporary? I uh, no, because I never intend it to be temporary. Okay. If if I make adjustments, it's it's adjustments to the existing piece. Okay. If it's not done, it's not done be, not because I'm going to replace it, but because I'm going to finalize it. But I do, so I don't know if I waste time, but I do worry that mm-hmm. I waste time. I worry about that quite a bit, actually. Oh, okay. But I don't think, and maybe this is a good sign, I've never sat down and, and told myself, yes, I really did waste time on this. Mm. I'm just, it's something I'm always thinking about, I suppose. Yeah. And maybe that's because, you know, I've learned more and more about, like, best practices, um, and, but it's kind of already too late for me, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> so maybe you're already, you're making the developer earn. Um, you're just doing it the way that works for you i suppose that's that could be it i mean that's uh maybe that's not as much to worry about as i thought i yeah. mean everyone's different right mm-hmm. i mean that's maybe a good message for our listeners is like <laughs> find your own way and yeah i mean find your own dumb way <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> the important thing is that whatever art you put into the game it conveys what you want yes the and that's the thing that i that's what that's why i'll sometimes defend this this method to mm-hmm. people is that it 
aesthetics matter and yeah. you know when games as art is not it's not just interactive art it's it's all the components that make up the interactive art and that really matters and um, I, I have a, a did a couple of my, uh, my notes here. I have a couple of examples of games that went through drastic art changes before they were released, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is a little bit different, a little sideways to the topic, but kind of shows how how we think about a game is really dependent, not uh, almost not even ma- in a majority on how the game plays, but how the game looks and feels and mm-hmm. sounds. Yeah. And uh, the first one is Borderlands. So famously, Borderlands was just sort of a grimy gray shooter, and apparently was on track to be a very good game. And then at some point late in the 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 uh, the development they just decided no let's make it a cartoon instead <laughs> and cell shaded bright colors and that it, it, my I mean I'm not a big Borderlands fan but like my understanding is that is a big source of its fan base is that aesthetic as the the writing and the humor it's all tied to that that art style oh yeah that's one of the reasons <laughs> why it's my favorite game oh well, yeah favorite series of games okay so I mean what about it like if Imagine it was so. You've seen the the original like screenshots of the old style that it, that it may have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, would that be a game you'd love? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you you at home should all see Martha's face right now. <laughs> it's not pleasant. <laughs> but it's interesting. I I would be curious to know how much of the development work happened after that shift, right? And how much of the mechanics changed, or how much of it was really just swapping it out. Um, because you know that's not imp- an impossible thing, but it feels to me like you should be thinking of these things at the same time—the the, the 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 play and the look. But I don't know that you have to, and I don't really have a lot of good counterfactuals to prove it one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But Borderlands seems like an interesting example where it could have—I mean, it seems like they were pretty far in development before they made that shift. They even had a, a article in Game Informer mm-hmm. on it. With the old art style. Oh, really? So it was so like, like was they close it to, to release. Oh, wow. They, oh, wow. Or not close to release, but at least enough of the game done that they went to press about it. Mm-hmm. Mm. So. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, then, I mean, I guess it's sort of, again, it takes all kinds, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they just, maybe they were just, um, they felt while they were working on the game that this is the direction they wanted to go. And then halfway through, they're like, this doesn't work. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. So. I mean that's part of it. Like when you're working on, if you if you if you just make developer art for stuff and you haven't quite finalized your um, your art style, mm-hmm. uh, all of that developer art you made isn't wasted because that's useful to portray the feeling you want or the the game mechanic that you want um, from your game. Yeah. And so, it, but if you like focus on making finalized art, not saying that you are doing that, Mark, <laughs> but if you do focus on that and you decide later on that this this part this part of the game shouldn't look this way or the the whole game shouldn't feel like this aesthetic. Um, you lose out on, uh, are you, I mean, you, all of that work you put into making that art piece. Right. A lot of that work is, um, just gone now. Yeah. And if you do the developer art that has, that, that does capture the spirit of the aesthetic you're going for, yeah. um, and want to then change it, it, uh, you know, hopefully you haven't invested all of your, you know your, your uh, creation time into a finalized version of that. So, yeah. um, so there's there, hopefully there's a. I mean, imagine there's a balance in there that some people have, are able to find. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another example of a game that was that had changed drastically was Wind Waker. Yes. So Wind Waker is interesting because I I don't know the development story. I just know that the at uh, Nintendo's like developer conference in 2000 they showed off a, a scene of what the GameCube was capable of, right? And it was a, a scene of uh, Zelda and Ganon. Actually, they did something very similar with when they were uh, 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 
uh, hyping the Wii U. They showed mm. a, a similar Zelda scene. Oh, that's right. That ended up having nothing to do with the game that was eventually released. And so it wasn't a, a necessarily a case of them changing the art style. That's more a case of the art style and that aesthetic being very core to the identity of the game mm. in a way huh. that if it were the sort of previously thought of style, I couldn't, I mean, Wind Waker doesn't make any sense to me. Like, it, <laughs> yeah. it looked like Twilight Princess, right? Yeah, that um, would be a weird game. Yeah, and I, like I said, I don't know if they were planning on that, but like, that, that, that's, is, because we have an example of like a screenshot of what we thought Wind Waker was going to be, it, is, it puts it in stark relief, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I, I find that very fascinating, and I, I always think that like that's why I always take it very seriously when 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 people will just say like oh yeah it's my prototype it's just literally white boxes and, and like that's and I know everything I need to know about the game design and mm-hmm. I just feel like you and again I don't have, I have no way to prove it but I just feel like you've, you've got to keep a little bit of all of all those tracks running um, or rather all those uh, plates spinning at the same time yeah right yeah and maybe maybe the art that you want for the game isn't implemented in the game but you have concept art and pieces that you're going to base the uh, design on and you can show people that and they can get a better idea well that's interesting because like as indie developers like we don't really do concept art say at the scale that like a triple a game is is able to so i didn't even really consider that as a way of just circumventing the problem (laughs) but it's true that's literally that's a big part of it right (laughs) Uh, we had in in chimera genesis we had that the the story art you remember (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just uh, like paint looks like paint. they made it in paint or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting too because that's the other question I had, which was like when you do developer art, um, you need uh, is it important to to telegraph that it's not finished, right? Oh, so I work in advertising on my day job, and one of the things we have to do, we have to do this, is when we have like a non final. Like piece that goes inside, we have to put big block letters on top of it that says FPO for preview only. We have to do that. It has to be so telegraphed because clients will always come back and say that doesn't look like how it's going to look, right? Or that's you're not going to. It's not going to be in black and white when we air it, right? And it mm-hmm. just seems like, but you don't realize that the person you're showing it to doesn't. It's not their job to be familiar with your process, right? And so I know that that's something that we always have to keep in mind uh, at work. And I, I think of, you know, if you have a game that you're prototyping, you're showing off, and you have a lot of prototyping experience with like paper prototypes and stuff mm-hmm. too, where um, like how important is it to you to make sure that the person knows what they're looking at? It, it depends on the venue you're showing it at, I okay. feel. Uh, so like if I'm showing it off at a play test, which is just an event where we get a bunch of people to play test games, and that's the whole point, I don't feel bad if there's art that isn't finalized in there or... Um, if something doesn't look like it really should, uh, because the the goal is really just to get feedback of, and maybe you're trying to get feedback on the art. I don't know. Yeah. But um, it, the goal is trying to get feedback on whatever it is you're focusing on. And so I feel like it's not as important at that point, as long as you get the feel and the feel is portrayed. Um, maybe you get feedback and this is the feel is not being portrayed and that maybe right. you could have spent more time on the developer art or mm-hmm. maybe you got a finalized piece. Um, but if you're showing it off at a convention or um, something more serious, then it's important, I feel, to have uh, finalized art or near finalized art or, you know, more down the path kind of art mm-hmm. um, to help. Uh, so so people get a better idea or a better, they have a better idea of what your game is. That reminds me of another thing of Vengeance. It feels like you've made a complete game what is it called? Vertical slice of a game. Mm. Like you have 
everything you could publish like the first two levels right now. Yeah. And they'd be just great. Yeah. People can see, oh, here's all of this finished work and I know exactly what it's going to be like and here's the part that they're still working. Yeah. So. Right, right. Yeah. At this point it, in Finch's development cycle, we really just need content. For the most part, we have uh, the, the base game done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I suppose. But I mean, we've been working on Finch's for two years. Oh, that's uh, <laughs> well, over two years, two and a half. Uh, long time. Um, and so we, we've reached that point, but we had to make a lot of uh, developer art along the way yeah. in to get to yeah. that point. And so sometimes you make developer art for stuff and it just doesn't feel right because it was poorly implemented. And and then you might have to go back and go back to the drawing board and uh touch it up some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, no easy answers, but <laughs> lots of good insight. Thank you both. Yeah. Because I think that it helps me put at least the way I do things in context and makes me feel maybe a little bit better and also gives me some some things to try, mm-hmm. which I think is really important. So thanks again. Uh I guess that is our show. Seems right. like it. I think there's no fourth hidden person, is there? No, I'm looking around the corner. I think it's just us, so it's time to go. Uh, so uh, that is our show. Uh, if you haven't already, uh, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app. Be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. It's incredibly important for new shows like ours to get noticed, so please spread the word. We also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. Let us know how we're doing. Send us your topics and ask us your questions. Lastly, you can find more about the show and your nice hosts, as well as get all the links and notes from this episode at nicegames.club. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Nice.